Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat episode, we're going to consider all things to do with the future of work. Our guest today is Robin J. Suthafen, global thought leader, futurist, and author on the future of work, automation, and human capital. Robin is the managing director at Willis Towers Watson. He has been recognized as one of the 25 most influential consultants in the world and one of the top eight future of work influencers. He is a member of the World Economic Forum's Steering Committee on Work and Employment. It's my absolute pleasure, rather than to welcome you to the show today. Thank you, Bill. Great to be here. So firstly, what are the, uh, what are the six imperatives that comprise of HR 4.0, which, you've, uh, which, which you speak a lot about? So HR 4.0 is a report that I collaborated with the World Economic Forum on and that we published uh, and presented at um, uh, in Davos this year. And it's essentially a, a view of how will work and the workforce be required to change within this fourth industrial revolution. And as part of this report, there were six imperatives that we outlined. Um, the first is developing new leadership capabilities for the fourth industrial revolution. So the ways in which we work today, the ways in which businesses are organized is dramatically different now than it, than it, than it has been over the last 150 years. Um, organizations are increasingly distributed. And so how business leaders lead, how, they, how you drive leadership from the edges, if you will, is increasingly essential for that distributed enterprise. The second imperative is about managing the integration of technology in the workplace. And, um, you know, as I wrote about uh, with my co-author, John Boudreau, in in our last book together, Reinventing Jobs, um, the impact of automation and AI and robotics on work is is truly profound. Um, But it requires a fundamental rethink of how we achieve the optimal combinations of humans and machines, and doing so in a way that transcends the, the more dystopian narrative of machines substituting humans is, is what imperative two is about. The third imperative is about re-envisioning and rethinking the employee experience. The employee experience is probably the, the hottest buzzword in, in HR at the moment. Um, but the digital technologies that surround us, our experiences as consumers, um, and if you think of everything that we can get that's at our fingertips, at our iPhones, um, employees are demanding that from their organizations, but equally those technologies are changing the ways in which work is organized, the ways in which people are connected to work. And so having an employee experience that reflects all of the best aspects of digitalization and at the same time makes it a much more human um, experience, I, I think is, is equally essential. So, so no mean feat there. The fourth imperative is about building an agile and personalized learning culture. And this goes back to the second imperative where I talked about the reinvention of work. We've known for a number of years now that the half-life of many skills that we have in our workplaces is shrinking dramatically. And the only promise that any organization can give its workforce is the promise of clarity as to where it's going. You know, the promise of certainty has left us many, many years ago. Equally, the promise of continued relevance in the face of a dramatically and rapidly changing work. And so learning really is becoming kind of the epicenter of the new deal uh, for many organizations. 
The fifth imperative is about establishing a set of metrics for valuing human capital. So ensuring that we've got metrics, tools that give us clear signals and markers as to how we are transforming our organizations, how we are actually um, investing in and ensuring the relevance of our workforces and moving beyond the traditional model of backward looking financial metrics. And the sixth imperative, um, something that is I think essential as we, particularly as we reflect on some of uh, what we see around us in the United States uh, this last week or so, an acute recognition of the power of inclusion and diversity, um, not just for our organizations, but for our societies and communities, and the power of, of diversity in, in driving um, more, you know, much greater levels of innovation, much greater levels of um, sort of relevant leadership in organizations that are much more diverse, much more distributed, where opportunities emerge much more quickly. The power of diverse thought, I think, is becoming increasingly essential um, to any organization that is going to stay relevant in this fourth industrial revolution. So those are the six imperatives as a quick flyby. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, for our listeners, we, we've, uh, we're recording this interview today, uh, the very beginning of of June. So um, uh, Robin's comment there in, in terms of uh, what's happening in the US, uh, starting of course in, in Minneapolis, uh, re- relates to the events at the end of end of May and uh, the, the beginning of June. Um, moving moving on now in, in terms of uh, focusing on some key some key roles um, that, that embrace the, uh, the the six imperatives that you just mentioned. Before we get on to HR pros generally, um, what one core function which exists in in most large organisations certainly uh, is is the role of chief people officer. What what are some of the key skills required to be the chief people officer, and and how are these changing? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, Bill. And and it you know we had the great privilege earlier this year of publishing both HR four as well as a related study that was sponsored by the largest HR organization in the world, the Society for HR Management in the United States, um, on the future of the chief people officer. And those six imperatives that I just talked about are beautifully underpinned by these five pivot points for the future of the chief people officer. So the first of those pivot points is about pushing the boundaries to power organizational agility. So I talked about leaders needing to orchestrate a distributed enterprise well, agility in sort of ensuring that work is redeployed to the optimal means, ensuring that organizations are able to respond quickly and effectively to you know, emerging shocks. Just think of how the most successful organizations have responded to the pandemic that we're in the middle of. Um, so that increasingly is sort of a key part of, of a chief people officer's role. The second element is unleashing digital enablement. So as businesses go digital, how do they rethink and reinvent work? How does HR itself start to accelerate its own digital quotient as it supports business leaders and the enterprise? The third element is embracing perpetual work reinvention. Um, we know that the most successful organizations who are o- applying automation, who are digitalizing, are the ones who lead with the work. And that's something that HR absolutely has to be at the forefront of because the remit of this profession is changing from being a steward of jobs and employment to increasingly being a steward of work. So having HR lead with the reinvention of work and ensuring that you've got a workforce that is relevant to that new body of work 
is, is, is a key part of the remit of the Chief People Officer. The fourth key pivot point is rethinking culture and leadership. One of our, um, of the 550 CEOs, Chief People Officers and board members that we talked to, one of them was Lena Nair, who is the CHRO of Unilever. And she said it beautifully, you know, in a world where organizations are that traditional hierarchical beast that we're all um, where work has been, where work is organized in, um, in sort of very structured jobs. Um, you could count on structure as your government today in the distributed enterprise with these many different options for work, culture really is the new structure. And then the last key um, pivot point is about elevating the decision science of this profession, combining its legacy with the new analytics, the new data science, um, the new measurement tools to ensure that we've got a robust and data-driven foundation to drive evidence-based change. In terms of uh, the role of HR folk, why is HR decision science or people analytics, you know, more people will know it as people analytics, the, the, the key to underpinning of the future of HR function? And I'd love you to answer that question in 60 seconds or less. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's about giving HR the same framework, the same toolkit, the same foundation as finance and marketing and IT have, have always had. And so I think that's really why it, it's so integral. And, and I think it's an evolution from sort of where this, uh, where this profession maybe has been in the past, where judgment was sort of uh, so essential to increasingly, I think, recognizing that um, the future really is about, um, you know, combining judgment, forgive me, where the, the legacy was more about experience, while the future is more about combining judgment science and analytics okay um and i think that was about 60 seconds or less <laughs> now uh you, you co-wrote the book uh, reinventing jobs to give leaders a framework so they can responsibly and sustainably apply automation to work uh this is a this is an area of uh of hr in the workplace that I, I find just fascinating and maybe a little bit scary um as we enter in a new decade can you provide an overview of, of, of what to expect what human work will be substituted augmented or or created indeed created that's the exciting part of this uh, as a result of automation so so the reason we wrote the book bill um was because that there's, there's a narrative out there about automation destroying jobs. AI and robotics and automation don't destroy jobs. They don't affect jobs. What they affect are the component tasks that make up those jobs. And so it's unless, until you get beyond the job that you can't really understand where will some tasks be substituted, where will others be augmented, and where might new tasks be created. And, and what we've what we, so this book, um, Reinventing Jobs, gives readers a methodology for doing that. But just to give you an example of, um, you know, what, what, what tasks will be substituted, anything that is repetitive, rules-based, um, uh, increasingly white-collar, which is really where the biggest impact of AI and robotics has been the last few years, um, but anything that, um, that way we can teach a machine to do it because it's repetitive, there are a defined set of rules a defined set of processes, um, and there is very little human judgment required, is, is most easily substituted. The things that we're finding are augmented, where each of us almost gets bionic or superhuman capability, is where 
AI and, and other sort of uh, types of automation or tools can provide us with information to, to drive better decision making, information that allows us to engage in a more compelling manner, things that allow us to make the most of our human capacity of innovation, creativity, empathy, care, and concern. And so technology tools that can support that are what allow us to be more productive. And the book, by the way, is chock full of examples. There's about 130 examples from just a variety of different industries of work that's been substituted, augmented. And then the third element is where new work is created as a result of automation. I'll just point to one very simple um, and may maybe not so obvious example, but we've seen a massive spike in demand for data scientists. Well, one of the reasons we have that, that spike in demand is because um, automation is, is, is generating lots and lots of data, and data is rapidly becoming a new asset that companies get to leverage. Well, that in turn is driving the demand for some very specific data, analy data an analysis skills. It's driving the demand for AI developers. And so there's this whole new body of, it's not new, but it's sort of an advanced advancement on some of our legacy data skills where new work has been created as a result of all the data that's being generated, as a result of the power of artificial intelligence to enable much more sophisticated types of analysis. And, in, and it's not just new work that's been created, new jobs have been created, new, new roles, and entire new industries have been created as a result of that. Okay, thank you very much. Um, a fairly recent Willis Towers Watson survey found that nearly half of transforming organizations are using automation to create new types of work for humans. You touched upon that just a moment ago. And you've repeatedly stated in interviews that em employers need to ensure employees stay relevant. And indeed, employees want employers to make sure that their skills are useful and relevant, uh, especially as, as the workplace evolves. So in, in this context, what, what should firms be offering when attempting to attract and retain top talent. And I just want to add to that as well. Is that still as important today as, as it was at the beginning of this year, i.e. there's a lot of people right now without jobs. So mm -hmm. is, it, is it still a competitive edge for a company to, to be able to ensure that their, their, their new hires or their existing people feel like um, if they stay with that company or join that company, they're, they're, they're going to have the opportunity to reskill and upskill? I really do believe that you know the promise of relevance is really at the heart of the New Deal. Yes, we've seen in some economies like the United States, almost you know north of 20% of the workforce get displaced and be without a job. At the same time, we're seeing those who are working and those who will need to get back to work, the work that they're going to come back to, the, or the work that they're in now, is changing so dramatically and rapidly that they're needing to reskill so quickly. I just look at you know my colleagues and myself as we've become 100% virtual. We've deployed new technology that's allowing us to collaborate with clients in ways we never have, and that's driving you know a need for a whole new set of skills of connecting with people in fundamentally different ways. Likewise, you know we're seeing entire industries. There's a great example I think of Shell, where even as oil prices have tanked and it's reducing operating costs still investing in the upskilling of its frontline workers who will need to come back to oil fields and platforms that are far more digital than they were you know, um, uh, prior to this pandemic. 
And so, so I, I do think, you know, no organization can promise its workforce certainty of any sort, but, you know, all it can promise is relevance. And as one of my clients said, you know, in their new employee value proposition, this is an airline of all industries, we will develop you for opportunity either within or without, which is an incredibly bold but honest thing to say. And it, it gives you a clear indication of where they're going to be investing their resources when it comes to their workforce. We're coming towards the end of this interview. Before we before we wrap things up for today, uh, how, how can our listeners connect with you and uh, how, how can they get a copy of uh, one or many of your books? <laughs> so all of the books are available on Amazon. Um, you can sort of reach me at, at robinjsuthasan.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and Twitter, and I'd love for folks to connect and ask questions and share ideas. It's, uh, questions always make me better, so uh, not afraid of a few challenges and, and tough, tough questions, which I'd, I'd very much welcome. Well, uh, listeners, I actually had about another five or six questions for Robin here today, but uh, we're, we're out of time. So, Robin, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to get you on uh, another episode in the near future, uh, if, if you'd be interested in that. Yeah, I'd be delighted to, Bill. Fantastic. Okay, I've got it. I've got it recorded, ladies and gentlemen. So he's committed. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> that just leaves me to say for, for today, Robin. Thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Oh, my my pleasure, Bill. And. Uh, listeners, and, and until next time, stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.